0: God, this morning as we gather under the, the name of Jesus as your people, God, we hunger, we hunger for your word. God, we have been offered all kinds of other items throughout the week for our souls to consume and or we confess that all of those things have left us wanting for more. And yet we come to your word today and we know that your word and your word alone will satisfy our deep longings. So God, come and and feed us by your spirit, Lord, aid us in understanding this passage as we ought so that we can walk out of this room changed, looking more like Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Sir, you are going to have to wait. Uh, Those are words that you never want to hear when you walk into an emergency room. I've been to the ER a few times in my life for different injuries or illnesses and and along with, uh, you know, things that my kids have gone through. And one of the first things that I do, like many of you, when you walk into the ER is you want to see how many people are in the waiting room, right? If there's a lot of people there, you think to yourself, oh, man, I'm going to have to wait a long time. But if there's not so many people, you think, man, I'm going to get help sooner. And yet if you've ever been to the ER, you know that's not exactly how it works, I know for me, like I've had um, certain injuries or illnesses where I walk in and I am immediately helped. I remember a couple years ago, I had uh, an outburst of pancreatitis and I walked in there yelling like a crazy man because of the pain and they helped me immediately. And then I had other uh, injuries where I had to wait for quite a while. Now, the reason for this is because of what those in the medical world call triage, that doctors and nurses, especially in medical contexts like an emergency room, they cannot treat every illness or every injury the same way. And so they have developed a process to determine what injuries and what sicknesses must be treated first and with what kind of sense, uh, sense of urgency. Now, as Christians, we actually do something very similar when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to our theology, and we call it theological triage. You probably have uh, picked up on this if you're a follower of Jesus. There are so many things that you need to know in the Christian life. There are so many different kinds of doctrine. And so as believers, the more that you are maturing, we need to understand how to best categorize our doctrine. As one pastor put it, biblical wisdom is more than just knowing truth. It is getting truth in the right order of truth importance this is what theological triage is it's creating a system of prioritization by putting doctrine in the right order of importance now there are different ways of doing this the i think very simple way is to have almost three different categories where you can have your absolutes your convictions And then your preferences. And you kind of put different doctrine or different topics of the Christian life in each of those categories. For me personally, I like to think of them as first tier, second tier, and third tier. At the first tier, kind of the primary doctrine, these are things that you need to know in order to be a Christian, in order to be a growing and orthodox Christian. And then the second tier, these are kind of the church essentials. This is, these are really important topics in doctrine in order for the life of the church, or things like baptism or gender roles. And then you have this third tier that are called non-essentials, and yet they are very, very important. But they're called non-essentials because there's room for, for various views. We hold them, even though they're biblically informed, we hold them open-handedly. And you can even notice, as we do theological triage, there is a spectrum of importance among our doctrine. And it's really important to know the differences. For example, you probably should not hold your view on alcohol with the same vigor as the deity of Christ, right? That there's room for for different views within alcohol, but there should not be room for different views within the deity of Christ. See, it's been said before that legalism treats a preference like an absolute, and liberalism treats absolutes as if they are preferences. And so understanding the distinctions, knowing where to draw the lines and how to draw the lines is very important just generally as a Christian, but also specifically as we approach our passage this morning and look at the topic of spiritual gifts. I'm pointing this out for us today because spiritual gifts is not a primary doctrinal issue. This is not a first tier on the same level as salvation. And yet it is still important nonetheless. But this morning, I'm gonna be presenting a view on spiritual gifts that I think is biblically informed, and yet I hold it open-handedly because it's not a primary first tier issue. And what we see in this passage is that the Apostle Paul is pulling back the curtain on this phenomenon known as spiritual gifts. And it's really needed, uh, especially for some of us in this room where you might be unsure of what your spiritual gift, you might be unsure of how you ought to be using that spiritual gift. And so as a result, there are many believers who do not appreciate the spiritual gift that you have been given by the Spirit of God. Just last year, um, my wife uh, got me a gift. She got me this uh, really fancy kind of charging station where I could charge my iPhone, my Apple Watch, and my AirPods all in the same charging station. It was really cool. Uh, there were just two problems. Uh, one, uh, and this may not surprise some of you, I didn't exactly know how to put it together. Uh, I'm not the most handy person, and so uh, that, that was an issue. And then secondly, I didn't know where to put it. Like, should I bring this to the office? Should I put it somewhere in the house? Should I put it by my bedside? Like, I just didn't quite understand uh, how to put it together and where to put it. And so as a result, and sorry, Lindsay, but I actually don't use it all that often. It looks cool, but it's just kind of sitting somewhere in the house somewhere, and more or less it's collecting dust. Now, if you asked me, hey, Chris, do you have one of those fancy charging stations? I would say, yes, I do. But if you ask me, do you use it? I would say, oh well, no, but I know that I have one, right? And I share that with you because I think for many Christians, that is their stance when it comes to spiritual gifts. If I asked you, hey, do you have a spiritual gift? Many of us would say, yeah, I have a spiritual gift. But if I asked you, are you actively and consistently using that spiritual gift? Do you know what it is? For many of us, We don't really know what it is or how to best use it. For a lot of us, our spiritual gifts are collecting dust, spiritually speaking, somewhere. And that is a problem. See, on one hand, this morning, I don't want to downplay the complexity of spiritual gifts. All right? Because when you talk about this topic, there are all kinds of questions that surface, Like, what are spiritual gifts? And who gives you the spiritual gift? How do you receive a spiritual gift? Does a pastor need to lay hands on you for you to receive a spiritual gift? Is receiving a spiritual gift dependent on how much you tithe and how much you give to the church? Can you trade your spiritual gifts with other spiritual gifts? Like, what if you get the the spiritual gift of celibacy? Can can you trade that one in for something else? All right, so on one hand, I don't want to, downplay the complexity of this topic. And yet on the other hand, I think that we have overcomplicated spiritual gifts. And this is going to be my push this morning. I think we have taken what the New Testament has, has talked about related to spiritual gifts. And I think we have unnecessarily added hoops to jump through and steps to take in order to use our gifts. And that is why I appreciate this passage so very much because before Paul talks about the what in verses eight through 10, as he starts to list nine different gifts, Paul actually tells us why they are important in verses four through seven. And so a few weeks ago, just by way of reminder, I started to lay the groundwork of understanding spiritual gifts. And I basically used this definition from Wayne Gruden that says a spiritual gift is an an ability empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it should be used in the ministry of the church. If you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about what spiritual gifts are not, and I cautioned us to make sure that we are not confusing spiritual gifts with a talent. Just because you might be naturally talented, maybe you're artistic, maybe you're an athlete, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is your spiritual gift. I also cautioned us to not confuse spiritual gifts with salvation or with spiritual maturity. Remember, the church of Corinth was greatly gifted according to chapter one, verses three and four, and yet they were very spiritually immature. We also talked about spiritual gifts should not be a means for personal boasting. Okay, so we laid that groundwork a few weeks ago, and today I just wanna build on top of that by looking at verses four through 11, where I see Paul provide for us five descriptions uh, about spiritual gifts. Remember, he's gonna start with explaining why they are important before talking about what they are. All right, so let's walk through these five descriptions together. The first one here, in verses four through six, is that the diversity of spiritual gifts exists for the purpose of displaying God. If you look at verses four, five, and six, in the original language, they all start basically the same way. And depending on your translation, it might say different kinds of, or uh, varieties of. And yet each of those verses end with the same repetition, the same phrase, something like the same God. Okay, verse four, uh, varieties of gifts, but same spirit. Verse five, varieties of service, but same Lord. Verse six, varieties of activities, but the same God. Okay, each of these three different varieties in verses four, five, and six are referring to the same thing. They're referring to spiritual gifts. They're helping to explain uh, verse seven. But when you look at verse six, it says that God empowers them all, meaning all of the different spiritual gifts in everyone or in all of God's people. And so when you look at all of the spiritual gifts, and there are over 20 listed throughout the New Testament, uh, they're all different, and they're all different, and yet they come from the same unified God. I think what that tells us is that the diversity of spiritual gifts are given in order to unify God's people and to display who God is and what he is like. And we're gonna unpack that idea more in next week's passage at the end of chapter 12. But this is what Gordon Fee says about these verses. Gordon Fee has written an excellent commentary on First Corinthians. He says that this, this structure by Paul communicates the fact that the same one spirit, Lord God, manifests himself in a great variety of gifts and ministries. The unity of God does not imply uniformity in gifts, Rather, the one and the same God is responsible for the variety itself. Meaning, God displays himself in all kinds of different ways, especially through creation, but specifically when it comes to spiritual gifts, God displays himself not just in one gift, but in a variety of different gifts to show us that he values biblical diversity and he loves to display himself in various ways. And we see that all throughout creation. When you look at a flower, there isn't just one kind of flower, there are all kinds of different flowers. When you look at a tree, there's not just one kind of tree, there are all kinds of different trees. When you look at how each person is created, there are all kinds of different kinds of, of people, we're all different. And the diversity in creation, the diversity in spiritual gifts is meant for us to take a step back and to worship this creative, powerful, large God who displays himself in all of these different ways. And so just to begin, as as we think about spiritual gifts, part of the reason why there are so many is because God loves to display himself in various ways. Secondly, though, the second thing to point out about these spiritual gifts is that they are given to every Christian and each Christian should use their spiritual gift. I think verses six and seven makes this clear that every Christian has at least one gift. And look, you are commanded to use that gift. Maybe to, to say it a different way this morning, you are actually living in disobedience if you are not using your spiritual gift. These spiritual gifts are are not kind of optional for the believer. It is commanded throughout the New Testament. Let me give you two examples. In 1 Peter 4, it says, as each has received a gift, use it, right? Use it in order to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Romans 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us think about them, Let us try to discover them. Let us maybe use them if we like them. No, 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 it says, let us use them. Look, church, these are commands. These are not optional. There are no disclaimers to these verses. There are no caveats that says, yeah, use these gifts if you discover your gift or if you like your gift, or if your schedule or the margin in your life allows you to use them. No, these are commands given to us in order to obey them. And I think church, oftentimes when we think about spiritual gifts, so often we just think that they are icing on the cake in the Christian life. Like a lot of times we think, okay, let's just get saved and focus on loving God, loving people, and if you just so happen to figure out your gift, and that is extra in the Christian life. And yet that is not how the New Testament talks about spiritual gifts, whether in 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, the New Testament writers talk about spiritual gifts as the primary way for you and for me to mature in our faith, and to edify and strengthen the church, other believers. And I just want you to imagine for a moment uh, how a parent would feel on Christmas morning when after they have deliberately picked out gifts for their children and they have wrapped these presents and on Christmas morning they hand these gifts out to their kids and their kids look at the present and they look at mom and dad and they say, mom and dad, thank you so much for these gifts. You are so loving. You are so generous. Thank you. We are so thankful. And then they take those gifts and instead of unwrapping them, instead of seeing what's inside, instead of playing with them, imagine if those kids took those gifts and put it off to the side and then they went and played and did something else. Now imagine how God feels when some of us Take these gifts that God has specifically tailored for you, specifically given for you through the spirit of God. And some of us don't even bother to know what they are, to figure out what they are, to cultivate them. And there are some of us who will even excuse ourselves from serving in the church by claiming, oh, I don't know what role to play. I don't know where I fit in. I don't know what gift I have to offer, and we use that as an out to not be part of the fabric of the church in an intimate way. Look, if your vision of what it means to be part of a local church is to come in here on Sunday morning, grab your coffee, sip on your coffee, wave to some people, sing some songs, listen to a sermon, and leave, and that's the extent of your involvement in the church all week long, that is a drastically different vision than what we have here at Pennington Park Church. And I wanna say this lovingly to you so, so that you know what the expectation is of being part of Pennington Park Church, that our vision here is not for people to walk in here as just consumers, but as contributors. That's why one of our core values is that we are participants, not spectators, right? Our vision for you is to walk in here and have the mindset of what can I give? How can I contribute? Not what can I get? What can I receive? How will this church revolve around me, right? And look, I'm stressing this today because we will never reach our full potential as a church of maximizing gospel effectiveness unless each follower of Jesus is using their spiritual gift in the mission of God here at Pennington Park Church. And look, I, I want to challenge you today to think about understanding your gift and being all in. Like if you have the mindset of, well, pastor, I, I've been a Christian for several decades, I've done the heavy lifting at other churches. I've, I've served in this way and it's other, other people's turn to step up, look, that's, that's not our vision here. We need every person, every person has a role here and we need you. We absolutely need you. If you think our church is perfect, that is not true at all. Like we have areas of need, thank you, Heidi. We have areas of need and opportunity and, and, and ways for you to participate in what God is doing. And I don't want you to hear your pastor up here trying to guilt you. I'm trying to inspire you by saying, we need you. And if you are not using your spiritual gift, you are actually robbing other believers in this church of what God wants to do in and through you. We are participants, we are not Spectators, which leads us to the next description because we have to ask the question, well, how do we use them? If we are to use these spiritual gifts, what does that look like? Well, verse seven shows us that spiritual gifts should be used to edify and strengthen other believers. I think verse seven makes that really clear, but even if you look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, Paul says, since you are eager for gifts of the spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And so you know that you are using your gift well and and effectively when it is leading to other people being encouraged and being stirred up towards maturity in Christ. When you're using your gift and other people want to know Jesus more, want to love Jesus more and wanna walk alongside Jesus more. And and that's another challenge I wanna lay before you today. I want you to think about your spiritual gift in connection to this kind of spiritual purpose, for you to not think about spiritual gifts as something to check off the to-do list or to think about, well, good Christians use their gifts, so I'm just gonna go ahead and use my gift. No, I want you to think about your spiritual gift as aiding somebody else in becoming and looking more and more like Jesus. Like for you to use your gift, you are assisting someone else along their path of spiritual maturity in Christ. Like the Greek word here for spiritual gifts, this phrase literally means grace gifts. And so because the spirit of God is empowering you as you use your spiritual gift, you actually become a conduit by which God pours his grace in and through you onto the people around you to edify them and to strengthen them. Like in a supernatural way, you become the pipe and the faucet by which God ministers in and through you by his grace to pour out on those around you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it an amazing way to think about spiritual gifts? Isn't it amazing to think about people in your life who, who they might be discouraged, they might be weak, they might just be downtrodden, Could it be that God has gifted you in a way to minister to those people by using your spiritual gift to edify and to strengthen the believers around you? That's how we ought to use them. That's how we ought to think about our spiritual gifts. The next one here um, in verse 11 is that spiritual gifts are given by the spirit in differing degrees of proportion. This is a really interesting verse, verse 11. It says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What this verse tells us is that the gifts are given by the spirit of God as he determines. Okay, so the spirit of God, this speaks to both his sovereign role over the spiritual gifts and the deliberate action that he takes in giving each believer in varying measure. Hey, in other words, you could have two people who are gifted with the same spiritual gift, let's say teaching, and yet they are uh, their levels of effectiveness is different. You have two people of the gift of encouragement, and yet one is more effective and encouraging than the other. It's because the spirit of God gives varying degrees of proportion to each believer. And ultimately, we do not know why. He chooses this person or that person to have more effectiveness or a different degree uh, of measure with those spiritual gifts. But the point here is not for us to fall into the comparison trap when we think about spiritual gifts, right? For us to think about, okay, what is my gift? It's so easy for us to start to think about the people around us and even to compare with the people around us to think, oh, well, I don't have this gift or "I'm, I'm not as effective as that person. And we start to compare, we start to put our eyes on other people instead of the gift giver. This is why I think Paul uh, cautions us and warns us in Romans chapter 12 about the type of view that we ought to have about ourselves in the context of spiritual gifts. Notice, it says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. But the point here is to be faithful in what's, you have been given. Just to illustrate this this morning, I want you to think for a moment about a rubber band. Okay, a couple things I wanna point out about rubber bands. Uh, Number one, uh, rubber bands are used in order to bundle something or in order to bundle uh, numerous objects together. But the other thing about rubber bands that you know is that there are different sizes. There are small rubber bands, there are large rubber bands, there are thin rubber bands, there are thick rubber bands. And each rubber band, basically has an assignment. Like a a small rubber band, a thin rubber band is not to be used to bundle large objects or a a lot of objects together, it has an assignment. And the other thing about rubber bands, just to point out, state the obvious, is that rubber bands are only effective when they are being used. And when they are being used, they are being stretched. They expand right? And so in terms of spiritual gifts, I want to apply that to your life this morning, that God has given you a specific assignment. He has given you different degrees of proportion, different spiritual gifts. And what God calls you to in terms of spiritual gifts is for you to use that gift. And for you to use that gift, understand that you will be stretched, You will be expanded. You will at times feel uncomfortable as you step out and allow the Spirit of God to empower you with whatever assignment God has given you. And look, I want to tell you this morning that I know there are some people who are fearful of stepping into an opportunity, whether in leadership or in service, because you fear being stretched. You fear this step of unknown, of of this not being familiar. And I wanna challenge you to actually be not fearful of being stretched because God's gonna give you grace in that assignment, but to actually be more fearful about sitting around somewhere and collecting dust spiritually because you are only effective in the Christian life when you are using your spiritual gift in the assignment that God Has given you. Be faithful with what God has given you and what God is calling you to. All right, so those are some helpful, I think, descriptions as far as why these spiritual gifts are important. But if you notice here in verses eight through 10, Paul now transitions to giving nine different examples of spiritual gifts. And a few weeks ago, I actually showed um, all of the spiritual gifts that are listed throughout the New Testament. These are different lists, and really there are kind of these four main um, lists. in First Corinthians 12, Romans 12, uh, you've got Ephesians four, you've got First Peter four that lists these different gifts out. And there are somewhere between uh, 20 to 22 uh, different spiritual gifts. And a couple of things about this list, just by way of review, is that these lists are not comprehensive. Like there are some lists that leave out other gifts. Other lists include other gifts. And so some actually believe that there could be more today, more than 22. We don't know for sure. The other thing about these lists is that they're not listed in order of importance. So the first one that's listed by the New Testament writer, he's not saying, hey, this is the most important list. And then this is number two. And then this is number three. And then the third thing to point out, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, is there's actually a wide spectrum of understanding about which of these gifts are still active today and which of them are normative in the life of a believer. And specifically when it comes to some of the supernatural gifts, like the gift of miracles and healing and prophecy and speaking in tongues. And we looked at those four different main views of of one view as being a cessationist, which believes that those supernatural gifts have ceased today. Uh, the second view is the open but cautious view. This is the view that I have uh, personally where, where these gifts are still alive today but they are not normative in the life of the believer and they are predominantly, they show up in areas or regions of the world where the gospel has not gone forth or where the gospel is not grounded in that particular area. You see that in the book of Acts. And then the third view is that Pentecostal kind of charismatic view, and there's a spectrum within those two camps where basically you need to be speaking in tongues in order to be saved. And then that fourth view is the third wave where they believe the gospel is so powerful it needs to come with it, uh, these supernatural gifts. And so looking at this list here, you see that there are actually nine that Paul lists in verses eight uh, through 10. And I don't have time to kind of describe all nine here, but I do wanna point out two of these. The gift of faith that you see there, this is not saving faith, but this refers to a supernatural conviction that God will reveal his power or his mercy in a special way in a specific circumstance. It's having this almost a supernatural trust that God will will come through, that God will, will, will work in a powerful way, especially when circumstances would say otherwise. Like, if you have this gift, then you're probably in a a group of people, and throughout your life, you might be with people that say, yeah, God may not do this, or God's probably not going to work in this way. But if you have the gift of faith, you're probably the person that will say, no, no, God can do this. God may do this, right? The other gift that I want to point out that has some confusion is what Paul, and some translations, have distinguished between spirits, or some translations have the gift of discernment. Okay, this refers to the ability to judge or to discern between the good, better, and best. Someone who's gifted with that is, has a good ability uh, to do that. We'll talk about prophecy, we'll talk about tongues, in chapter 14, and and I'll kind of share my view on on those gifts in particular. I think the other ones are pretty um, self-explanatory. And there are other passages of Scripture, like I've already named, that list kind of the other spiritual gifts that I just encourage you to look at and to understand if you're trying to discover what gifts the Lord uh, has given you. And so this morning, what I really want to emphasize today is more of the application of this passage in identifying and using your spiritual gift. I think that is one of the biggest takeaways from this passage is to remove the cloud of ambiguity when it relates to knowing your spiritual gift. Paul is clear here. Each Christian is given a spiritual gift by the Spirit of God and is to be used to edify other believers around you. But inevitably, The question is raised, well, how do you know which gift is yours? And so this morning, I'm not going to give you a magic formula. I don't think, hey, here's here's a spiritual gift inventory test. Take this, and that's going to tell you exactly what your gift is. I think the best way to discovering your gift is to do so within community, within a group of other believers who know you well, and to perhaps even ask, the following guiding questions, okay? I think these four are really helpful to kind of steer you in the right direction. I think the first question to start is, where are the needs around me, right? This is a great place to start because sometimes in discovering your gift, you may just need to fill a hole within the church and not necessarily start with your sweet spot if you don't know what your sweet spot is. And so what are the apparent needs around me? And let me just be faithful in serving in this role. And I I wanna start here because sometimes we can actually use spiritual gifts as an out for us not to serve. Like for example, you might see chairs that need to be stacked and you might say, well, I've got the spiritual gift of of teaching or prophecy and, and I'm not gonna stack these chairs and you miss an opportunity to serve that's right in front of you, right? So my encouragement to you, if you are trying to figure out what your spiritual gift is, is to look at what holes need to be filled, where are the needs around me, and to be faithful in serving in those needs. And I think God will bless that. God will steer you. God will direct you and guide you to where you are uniquely gifted, whether it might be, hey, I serve in children's and I'm definitely not gifted here in this area or in a different uh, route. The second question um, to ask is, what do I enjoy? What do I enjoy? I think, usually, and look, not every time, but usually when the Spirit of God is empowering you to use the gift that you have, there will be a type of joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. Maybe not every time. And and this isn't to say that you may not feel exhausted after using your gift. You may be physically uh, and or emotionally tired, but spiritually filled up. That's kind of how I feel on a Sunday afternoon, if you want to know how I'm doing. And, And so, where might this be in your own life, where you feel spiritually filled up after using that particular gift that might be steering you in the right direction? And then thirdly, where am I spiritually effective? Where am I spiritually effective? I think it's interesting when you think about the spiritual gifts that are listed in the New Testament, most of those gifts are actually commands for all believers. Isn't that interesting? When you think about encouraging, serving, evangelism, trusting, like all those aspects are things that we are commanded to all do. And yet you are spiritually gifted when you have a particular level of effectiveness in that, in that, in that area within uh, the Christian life, that when you use that gift that others are stirred up and encouraged in growth towards Jesus. And then fourth, I think this is a really important step, is where am I being affirmed by others? Again, we discover our spiritual gifts best in community, not in isolation, and so find other believers who know you, who are mature, and ask them, hey, where do you see the Spirit of God gifting me spiritually? And then listen to see the direction that they provide. And so look, in summary here, I think this is kind of a helpful diagram. When you think about where am I spiritually gifted, you take where you have an ability or an effectiveness where that meets an affinity in your life like a desire and then where that meets affirmation by others validation from other believers when that, when those three things come together that's probably where the spirit of god has Gifted you. And if you are in a small group or if you're a small group leader, this would be a great discussion to have sometime this week as you go through each person in your small group and just talk about where you might be spiritually gifted. Use some of those questions and speak into one another's lives if you don't know what your gift is. Now, as we close this morning, there's actually one more description that I left out from the beginning. There's actually five descriptions. I only gave you four. And I wanna close with this one because I think this is the most important description and understanding of spiritual gifts is that spiritual gifts are given to exalt Jesus as Lord. One of the most common mistakes that we can make when we think about the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we say, yeah, the presence of the Spirit really showed up, and we've been talking about that last four weeks, so often we predominantly say that when we sense his power or when we see the spiritual gifts being used, right? And that might be true, but according to the Apostle Paul, the presence of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit is when an individual is living out the reality of verse three in chapter 12, when they are declaring and their lifestyle matches that confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. When they are living under the lordship of King Jesus, that is the ultimate test of someone who is spirit-filled, someone who is spiritual, and someone who is a genuine follower of Jesus, where they believe and they are living as if Jesus is truly Lord. I think that's a good reminder as we close about this topic you have been spiritually gifted not to make yourself look great, but to make God look great, that the focus should be on Jesus. And so when you use a spiritual gift, whether it's teaching or encouragement, generosity, service, whatever it is, and someone says, man, you are so generous, or you are such a great servant, or you're, you're a great teacher, it's our responsibility to respond in a way that puts the focus back on Jesus to say, well, this is is why I'm gifted in this way. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me talk about Jesus and put that spotlight on King Jesus. I think that is crucial because genuine followers of Jesus live in a way that exalt Jesus as Lord because look, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters than lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. Look, it does not matter how great of an encourager you are. It does not matter how great of a servant you are, how generous you are, how great of a teacher you are. If you are not shining a light on how great Jesus is, nothing else matters. Now, why? It's because Jesus is the point of all of this. He's the point of spiritual gifts. Like this sermon and this topic of spiritual gifts is not about you. It's not about self-discovery. It's not about you being an individual, unique snowflake and a a special butterfly. It's about King Jesus. It's about magnifying his name. That's why you've been gifted. And the reason for that is because we wouldn't even be talking about spiritual gifts if if it wasn't for what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, where Jesus dealt with your sin in full, did he not? like you had a sin problem, I have a sin problem. We all have disobeyed God and as a result, we have this eternal chasm before a holy God that has resulted in condemnation, in separation from God. The consequences is hell forever and ever. I know we don't like using that word, but that is exactly the consequence for sinners who do not trust in Jesus. And not only do we have this chasm you and I are unable, are unable to do anything about the gap between us and a holy God. No amount of good deeds will bridge that chasm. Your church attendance, how nice and kind you are, using your spiritual gifts will not bridge that chasm. There's only one person who can bridge that chasm. There's only one person who can bridge that divide and his name is Jesus. See, Jesus did something 2,000 years ago that none of us, none of us could have done. That Jesus, as he was hanging on that cross, he took all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our disobedience, and he died the death of a criminal hanging there on the cross, paying your penalty, paying my penalty. And the good news is, is that if you trust in Jesus, if you put your faith upon Jesus, if you declare that Jesus is king, I am not, if you bend that knee and surrender, Jesus not only pays for your sin, but he gives you the gift of righteousness. He clothes you with his own perfection and you become united in Jesus. That's actually what saves you. It's not that Jesus removes your sin, it's that he gives you his righteousness so that that divide, that chasm is no more. God forgives you, God accepts you, God adopts you into his family forever and ever because of what Jesus has done. So look, spiritual gifts are not about you. It's not about you finding your unique role. It is about honoring King Jesus because he's done something for us that none of us could have done. So I wanna close this morning by magnifying the generosity of God. I want to draw your attention to the endless amount of grace that God has given us to not only save us from our sins, but he's so generous in giving us a spiritual gift. How good is he? How amazing is God to giving you a spiritual gift in order to mature you and to edify other people? God is so great. He's so amazing. And I wanna close this morning, just a moment of silence just between you and the Lord. And I just want you just to even express your gratitude for his generosity. Look, I don't know, maybe you've never done this before. I know You probably have, Thanked him for salvation, but have you thanked him for the spiritual gift he's given you? And and just giving him praise and worship for his generosity. Let's just do that right now. Give you a moment to do that, and then I'll close this in a word of prayer today. God, as we close this morning. God, we just want to thank you. We're going to praise your name because you treat us so much better than what we deserve. God, when we were enemies, when we were Lord, running away from you, when we were lost and hopeless, God, you in your sovereign grace drew us into Jesus, gave us the gift of faith to save us. God, we thank you for that free gift of eternal life. We thank you that now we can know something different than condemnation and guilt. We can, we can experience forgiveness. We can experience acceptance by you forever and ever. And we thank you for that, God. And Lord, you not only stopped there, but you have also given us the gift of, of spiritual gifts Lord, that you've lavished upon us. God, we confess to you this morning that for some of us, we have been lazy in understanding what that gift is and using it. Would you forgive us? But we understand this is a command to give us not not out of duty, but out of delight to edify the people around us to build up our faith in you. So God, would you help us to do that? Help us to be faithful because of what you have done for us. God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. Continue to build it. We trust in you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.